Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibble, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I am speaking with the incredibly busy podcaster, uh, Rob Jones, and this time we're going to speak about the show Records and Bands. Hey, Rob, thanks for speaking today. Hope you're okay. Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you for having me on, Marv. Yeah, Records and Bands, can you guess what we talk about? Uh, Marvel Universe? Well, we do slip into that from time to time, but no, we, we pretty much stick to what it says on the tin. That's right. So, I mean, th- this is going to be a really good good answer straight away. Because uh, if, if people don't know, Rob is responsible for quite a few shows that are on, on, the, on the old streaming services. So what was your introduction to the world of podcast? Um. Listening-wise, I probably go back to about oh, 2009, maybe early 2010. Yeah. Um, I had one of those real small MP3 players. It wasn't an iPod. It was an off, off-market branded one, real cheap and nasty one. And I'd had that for a few years, and I would just like burn my CDs to the computer and then put the tracks on that and listen to that at work all day. And then at some point, I got... Um, I got an iPod Touch. I think we mo- we moved in 2009, and the job that I went to was a little bit more money. Still not great money, but a little bit more money. So I splashed out, and I bought an iPod Touch. Still can nice. afford an iPhone, but, you know. Um, and then at some of the time, I remember hearing Richard Bacon, the guy who used to be on Blue Peter. He was on Radio 5, and he was talking about this podcast called The Bugle with Andy Zaltzman and John Oliver. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And so I dug that out. And, yeah, that was probably the first podcast I listened to. And from there, I kind of found, like, stuff like Kevin Smith and then Mark Maron, obviously people who I knew from other things that had moved into podcasting. And, yeah, so from... And then I suppose when the podcast app finally came um you know and it was take, all taken outside of itunes it was a lot easier to find stuff and everything kind of blew up from there but yeah i'll go back to 2009 so it's not really the start but it's maybe that first wave of it getting popular okay i mean i'm, I'm much the same i mean you, you were posher than me i had i just had the old standard ipod the the big beast of an ipod as it was yeah probably doesn't work anymore <laughs> yeah i probably started around the same time listed shows like film sack started around then and crikey there's so many things i was listening to back then that i can't remember even the names of um there's stuff like um there's they were just starting to put like repeats of radio shows on into podcast feeds and stuff as well so if you missed um i don't know the football the night before they'd have all like the preamble in the afters, you know, bundled up into a, a little show that they put out. But it's very much, it was like the BBC would have stuff on 
and then people like Kevin Smith, or the adopters like Kevin Smith and Mark Maron, they they were my go tos really. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, as, as as time's gone on, um, I've said to people that in some ways, I think the BBC and other services put some shows out now as podcasts in a way because they're catching the, the, the niche audience, whereas they're not putting them out so much on the radio stations, these shows, you know, like the documentaries about yeah. pop groups. Like, um, I mean, I, I'd listened to a superb BBC podcast where the, it was a series about, um, I can't remember two or three parts about Kraftwerk. And All right. I really enjoyed that. And I mean, I think that's where podcast probably would work to, or releasing that would work to their um, sort of like, you know, for the, for the BBC, it'd be a good thing for them because that's more of a, it'll catch a large niche audience worldwide. Whereas just in the UK, it might not hit so many people. Do you think the BBC should be allowed to call them podcasts though? I don't really know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, it's, I, it's a tricky one because I started listening to something called Barmydale last week, but that is essentially a BBC audio drama. So hmm. can you call it a podcast or do you call it a BBC audio drama? Well, I, I just think that it's an extension of the radio. It's radio on demand rather than podcasting. I see yeah. podcasting is what we do and what we like where maybe we some of us aspire to get to so i'm not podcasting from my bedroom i maybe have a more professional setup somewhere and i can not earn money from podcasting but um podcasting can be part of a income derived from like creative works if that makes sense yeah it does yeah, and and I, you know, I think if you if like the BBC don't need, I I feel like the BBC encroach on the space and dominate it, and I don't know if that's a good thing for, it's certainly not a good thing for the independent podcasting community. No, but then extension extension of that is what's going on with, uh, shall we say, celebrity podcasts that are sponsored by or paid for by uh, podcasting services. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah, it's exactly, yeah. exactly the same. Peter Crouch doesn't need a podcast. He can get on the telly. Yep. yep. You know. Anyway. I mean, <laughs> rant over. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean I've, I've said before that a lot of these celebrity ones, they're, they're just talk shows that are, that are put out as a, as a as a podcast. They're just copy and paste for the most part. They're all just like, oh, I'm a celebrity and I'm talking to this person or I'm, I'm this celebrity talking to this person or with this group of celebrities talking to somebody. They're all very much got that standard celebrity radio show feel to them. Mm -hmm. And there's a danger of that filtering down into the independent community as well because that gets seen as what a podcast should be. So everyone aspires to make that particular type of show. And um, not in every case, but you can, uh, in, in a personal aspect, I felt that, smothering my creativity before where i've ended up making a podcast that i've made a podcast 
how it should be made rather than how I could make it, rather than making it to its full potential. I've gone, right, I need to be interviewing this person doing that thing because that's a podcast. Whereas it could be so much more. And that's for a podcast that we're not here to talk about tonight, but you know. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I think in some ways far too many people, uh, this might be a, be something that I'm going to be shot down for. Far too many people shout out about, say, you know, J- Joe Rogan's show, which is essentially the sort of show that we're on about. It's basically Howard Stern put out as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Same sort of yes. thing. Yes. Yes. So the show history then, um, I mean, it, it's difficult to go into because you had shows before this. So what, what was the... No, this was my first show. Oh, it is. This is my first podcast. So all that time that I was listening to podcasts, from about 2014, I started thinking, hang on, I could probably do this. And I started running over in my head, like, all the different shows that I could make, and I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts about podcasting, which is where this kind of making a show, how it should be made, comes into my stuff. It's, you know, I took so much information in about how to make a podcast that I, for a while I couldn't see past that. Um, But this show I started, I eventually kind of had enough money together and a bit of time and and maybe enough confidence. So this one I started in April, 2021 um, with my brother and because I felt like he's almost like a comfort blanket, if you like. So, um, it's essentially it's me and my brother talking about records which sounds really easy doesn't it and then from there i've gone on and dipped my toe into other shows and made other things and done all sorts so um but this this is the baby this is the first one um but yeah so i guess it started at the back end of the the second lockdown the christmas lockdown as it were and i didn't really get a lockdown I know that sounds weird. No, I didn't. Um, no. So I, I work in parks and council workers working outdoors. We were kind of deemed low risk. And so we walked all the way through the pandemic, which kind of brought its own challenges. There was a lot of, a lot of the time we felt that we were working to, like we were working really hard to like keep the parks and the open spaces clean, just so people on furlough could go and drop their beer cans in there. Yep. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, so so timing wise, it records and bands looks like a lockdown podcast, but I don't think it is because of like the time I spent planning it in the years before. Um, but like I say, yeah, I was either too busy or didn't have the kit or anyone to do it with. So probably March, April twenty one, I asked my brother if he fancied doing it, and by the end of April, we had our first couple of shows up, which you went back and listened to, didn't you? You went all the way back to the first one to listen to it. And that must, been, that must be the worst one you could have sampled, to be honest. <laughs> well, for somebody who who is well, whose favourite band is Queen, and mm. uh, you know, I have a, I'm, I, 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 I'm part of two Beatles-related podcasts. Uh, it was it was interesting, but then again, mm. you know, I mean, you know, I say that in jest because the thing is that in a way, these sort of acts that are so lauded, in a sense, people have different tastes. So some mm. people will like these people, some people won't. 
And in a sense, I think it's healthy that some people look at these sort of big acts like this and say, now, hold on a minute. They're not all that. Well, I'm going to use a British thing here because we're both British. They're not all that in a bag of chips, as we say. Yeah, and I also think there's a lot of, like, especially with the Beatles. So, so Queen, the thing with Queen is that I was brought up with my dad being a massive Queen fan, and we just had no escape from it at all. And it was like he had two tapes. It was like Greatest Hits 1, and then we were spoiled when Greatest Hits 2 came out. He had all the records at home, but that's all we had in the car, you see. Um, And then... The thing with the Beatles is I wonder, is it because they were so famous at a time when that generation was so massive that it's just carried on and on and on? So there's people now in there, trying to do the maths, but if people were 18 or 15, 18 in 1963, 1965, they're still around now and they're still reminiscing about the music that they loved when they were kids. The same as I do, but because it stayed in the zeitgeist for so long, I feel that we've been swamped by it. I mean, I, I was, I was, hmm. I was born after the Beatles had split up mm-hmm. and I think I was probably influenced by my own, both parents listening to mm-hmm. the Beatles and being fans probably. Um, yeah. But you would still I, I turn mean, the radio on and hear the Beatles, wouldn't you? That's true, yeah. yeah although, so although I didn't, one, hear, didn't hear the Beatles on the radio that much in the 70s. They were a bit au fait back then. No. People didn't want to listen to them. So so for me, and this is going to be a very British, um, a very British, uh, what's the word, mm. example, I suppose, um, yep. Radio 2. So in the 1990s, when I was getting into music, they were playing music from the 60s and 70s, so 20, odd, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. Now, yeah. they're still playing music from the 60s and 70s. That you know, They haven't moved on. They're not playing as much stuff. If you go back the same amount of time, they should be playing more Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, that sort of thing. But they're not. They're playing, still playing the same 60s and 70s stuff because their demographic, they've aged with their demographic rather than moving with the demographic, if that makes sense. Well, actually, I think they've changed. I think they've changed it to going back to the starting from the 80s now, I think, and oh, right, maybe okay. dig a bit into the 70s. But that's why you've that's why they've lost the, you know, the um, uh, Ken, Ken, whatever, I can't remember his name now, oh, why Ken he's Bruce. gone at Ken Bruce. That's why he's gone to Greatest Stitch Radio. Is because oh, see. they see him as being a bit aged for what they're after. Um, yeah. But yeah, so during the peak times, they want young people. Yeah. Mm. So Radio One used to always like like Chris Moyles. I'm not a fan, but he got moved on because he wasn't seen as being young enough for the demographic they wanted. But Radio Two weren't doing the same at the same time. So anyway, we're not here to talk about Radio Two. <laughs> no, no, we're not. I brought it but- up. Sorry. <laughs> So, you, well, I mean, have, have you described the show? I mean, so I've heard the first episode, and then I listened to the episode that you suggested to me, and I've listened. I've listened to another one as well, mm-hmm. so you'll be surprised by that, because uh, the one that I listened Excellent. to the most recently is the one where you had the guest on, and he picked mid eighties Queen, which surprised you mm-hmm. when he picked it as well. So, 
I'm, so, yeah. because I've cherry picked that that episode, the first episode is completely different to the. Um, you know, I'm going to go into this. This watch for the tangenty. So, so it's transitioned as it, or is it? Does it still go back to that, or is it transitioned completely to this? Uh, the questions of doom. Uh, so, uh, well, know, it's difficult. So, in terms of a show description. Um, I think in the feed it says something like remembering when you were at school or at college and you could just sit around chatting about music all the time. Um, yeah. You know, what records you bought, what bands you like, what gigs you go into. Um, uh, but then over time, like your access to music increases. But certainly for me, um, the people I have to talk about music with is dwindled. Yeah. So the idea of the podcast is that it's kind of a – well, the original plan was that it would just be a safe space to chat about music with your mates and you could come out with your massive cliches or your I don't like the Beatles or Kanye West is the last great punk hot takes, if you will. Um, and I think at its heart, it's still that, even though the format has kind of diversified. Yeah. Yeah, that first show we did was basically a test the gear and see if we, you know, see if we can make something out of chatting about bands and i just found a list of the rolling stones top however many records it was and me and my brother just went through them and like do you like it no not really or you know <laughs> and then you know which ones we did like which ones we didn't that sort of thing um rolling stones a very particular magazine isn't it it's quite you know what you're going to get with the rolling stone um but i suppose in terms of format we um started off and this might jump ahead into one of your questions later on. Um, We started off that because there's an age difference between me and Sam of about eight years, so when you're 44 and 36, it's not too bad. But obviously, when you're 12 and 20, that's a bigger bigger age difference. So there was clear holes in the knowledge of each other's record collections. So the first run of shows was very much me saying... Here, Sam, go and listen to Live Through This by Hole. And he'll say, okay, here's Panic Prevention by Jamie T. Or I'd give him Never Loved Elvis by The Wonder Stuff and he would give me something by Bright Eyes or whatever he was into. Because I'm very much like a 90s, greasy, grungy kid. Still yeah. am. And um, he's he's more of a, like a 2000s indie kid with a bit of punkiness chucked in, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. Um. And then we kind of not got bored, but it was getting more difficult. So we then, um, you know, after lockdowns and stuff, and it was getting difficult for him to find time. So we'd say, right, we'll bring in some extra people and we'll focus on one album and we'll do like album reviews. And then um, I managed to bring in a couple of other people. So there's like four of us really on the show regularly now. Um, and over time, it's just like, whatever we fancy doing, we'll try. There's no real set format. And then, as I say, the, or as you were saying, the questions of doom, um, yep. they came in really because Sam got busy this year writing and recording an EP with his band, um, Alvin and the Angry Barrels. Cool. Um, so we, he wasn't around quite so much, and I just still wanted to do stuff, and I wanted to push my circle of podcasters a little bit you know i basically i want to want to find some new friends so i started inviting other people on 
and that, the, the 10 questions of doom are really just sort of conversation starters you know rather than saying come on the, the show and talk about music they're all they're different points that we can jump off and go in different directions but i mean the the best thing about that is as somebody who uh myself i i remember the days of speaking with friends because to be to be honest a lot of the music that you get into is based on people bringing that to you so the the larger amount of people that you speak to about music the more that you're going to be introduced to and the more that it flavours who you are, because, um, I mean, I've not put it out yet, but one of the shows, you, I think somebody was mentioning about, you know, that when you go to someone's house, uh, and I used to do this as a kid, and I probably still do it, actually, if I visit people that I've not met before, they'll go out of the room to make a cup of tea, and I'll go straight for the record collection, and I'll yeah. flip across it, because that's how I gauge what this person is or who they are as a person, I'll base it on what they listen to and think, yeah, oh, right, he's got that in there. Oh, maybe not. And then, oh, he's got that. That's a classic. And like that. <laughs> and I used to do that. And I think somebody mentioned it on your show as well, doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's harder and harder where people don't really have record collections anymore, do they? And it's all, it's a lot more digital. Um, it's funny because, like, with my musical taste, it's, I've always felt that I'm, personally quite middle of the road and quite mainstream it's guitar bass and drums in what i call angry white boy music yeah but then like i talked to sam my brother and he's like yeah it's not quite as mainstream as you think it is and then i'll speak to leon who um also helps out on the show um he's my best friend of how old am i yeah so 32 years me and leon have been friends and okay. like we got like our friendship was cemented over a, a shared love of iron maiden and they yeah. very much stayed in that iron maiden heavy metal prog rock range and but he'll say to me like you know the stuff i listen to he'd never dream of listening to it because i do go down rabbit holes and i chase rabbit holes so yeah. like i got into neil young because neil young did a record with pearl jam and pearl jam are my favorite band you know yeah. and like I, I got into the clash because i was into rancid and it's but I'll, I'll i'll chase those rabbit holes everywhere you know so um yeah i'm into sad country music at the moment <laughs> so listen being a fan of iron maiden has that you got you into listening to jethro tull as well it has the on and this is this is what i'm getting at is um i was a fan of iron maiden until the age of about 15 16 and then okay. i really started getting into other stuff whereas leon stayed with them and i probably haven't listened to them properly since then um and then leon's very much into jeffrey toll but I, I i can't get into prog rock leon asked me to listen to is it close to the edge by yes yes yep yes and um yeah that was hard work it was <laughs> sorry don't get me wrong like there, there's what I, what I just want to say is like like I I appreciate the musicianship and everything that goes into it, but choruses are good. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I like so a chorus. You, yeah, <laughs> you like you like the, the standard verse chorus, maybe a nice bridge in there, but uh, verse chorus bridge bridge to a second type of chorus. Oh, what's this section over here and all these other bits? Oh, you can't be like, in middle eight. Yeah. You can't be in middle eight. I tell you, that's it. Yeah, middle eight. For the yeah, win. No, yeah, I 
I just like good songs. I like well-written songs now. Whereas when I was younger, I'd be into like, you know, the fastest guitar solo or the best, you know, the double kick drums or as heavy as it could get. Whatever. And I just like good songs now. I think, yeah, I've got... Uh, uh, dare I like, say it's, a, it's an age thing? Sorry. It, it, I'm sure it is. Like, if, if you tell me at the age of 18, 19, even 25, that, you know, in a few years' time, you're going to be sat on your back step listening to Jason Isbell and Zach Bryan watching the sun go down, sit listening to sad cowboy songs. I, it's, I'd say, no, nah, I don't like country and western. Some of the best songwriters around are country singers. Like, so. yeah. There's something very romantic about heading down to Memphis in a pickup truck and a case of beer, isn't there? Whereas all we have here is, I'm just going to nip up the oval, get see a man about a box all over. <laughs> yep. All things that nobody outside of the of England will know what we're talking about. No, that's it. So, Yeovil? Where's Yeovil? <laughs> I bet they thought it was probably a person before you said that. Well. <laughs> so, how did you choose so those a... questions? Go on. I was just going to say, there's just a romanticism around um, country music and certainly, like, that tradition that I suppose goes to Bruce Springsteen and, and that, that getting out of town, you know, I'm sick, sick of the one-horse town, I need to don't care where I'm going, just anywhere. Like, and that really appeals to me as someone who's, who's always had a touch of the wanderlust. It's it's strange you should meet, mention Bruce Springsteen because I was just thinking when you said that about that, I thought, yep, there's very much that sort of element to his music. Um, mm. So I've listened to a lot of Bruce over the years, and then I didn't get into, I didn't listen to the album. Oh, is it Nebraska or whatever, where it's all his home mm-hmm. recordings, basically? Recorded yeah, it's amazing. And I didn't listen to that until I was probably in my you know, early 40s, even mm-hmm. late 30s, I think. And I think, in a sense, I think it hit me more then than if I'd have listened to the album earlier. It might not have, but because I listened, waited until then to listen to it, I listened to that album now, love the albums, great album. As somebody who records at home, it, it you know, it really mm. resonates. But at the same time, I listen to the album and I think you can hear even more because of the stripped back approach to it. You can hear that almost country esque Americana that is innate in his music without all of the big electric guitars and the saxophone and all that. Strip it back, and that's essentially what his music is for the most part. Yeah, so with Springsteen, who is one of my favourites, I always, um, and this is a running running sort of theme on the show as well, I've always always used to have him down as like, uh, you know, in the stadiums, big anthems, f- waving the flags yep. and all of that. And he isn't that at all. But um, the album that got me into him was the one he did with the Seeger Sessions Band. And it's yep. all sort of um, Americana, Cajun sort of stuff. And it, um, it's banjos and fiddles and it's he's doing the old american standards and it was from there that then got his album after that was wrecking ball which i think is probably one of his finest pieces of work and that was his Mm. i think that was 2012 that album came out because he's proper angry then and then like the rising which came out not long maybe was that 2002 that came out maybe 2003 but that was his response to 911 and it's very much like a love letter to a broken city and it's an absolutely beautiful piece of work so 
that's my entry point to Bruce Springsteen. And then I've then gone back and really got into the classics, but that, that run of albums. So the rising devils and dust and wrecking yeah. ball that I think yeah. that's though they're among his best work. I think they're amazing. And I don't like just to go back to what we were talking about earlier. I don't think the Beatles, John Lennon, any of them could, could write those three albums. But no. I, I, I reckon Bruce Springsteen could write a lot of the Beatles stuff. But anyway. So essentially, you've talked about the developing the format. So, uh, yeah, choosing the 10 questions of doom. Was that an easy, easy job? Or did you sweat over trying to get, you're like, oh, I've got nine good questions. Damn, I need another question. Or was it really easy? Well, yeah, it was because it, it was kind of just... Um... It was, it wasn't, a, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, it's not rocket science. I wasn't trying to, I was just trying to find a format that was easy to replicate and it wasn't a lot of work. You know, I could send a list of questions to people and they could have a think about it for a few weeks and then they can come back on and it make it easy for everyone, I suppose. Um, so there wasn't really much development into it. It's just a list of things that I thought would be interesting and could potentially be taken different ways so we have the standard ones like what are your three favorite albums or your three favorite artists or you can do both now it's pretty easy to say your favorite artist or your favorite album and maybe a top five is quite easy but three is just that little bit oh i'm gonna have to leave you know you might have to leave someone important out and then there's other questions that we ask which is like um do you remember your first gig now when we've had musicians on they've taken it as the first gig i've played whereas i wrote that question as in the first gig you went to yeah so they so so depending on where you're coming from um what else is there there's um festival gig is a very the festival question is always a good one i ask people to book six bands to play a one-day festival um one that is, has been quite interesting is I asked people who the biggest influence on their record collection was, because for me is very much Leon, um, my friend for 30 odd years, because he had MTV and he would record like Headbangers Ball and the rock shows off MTV and come in on Monday morning with a mixtape for us and a splitter yeah. cable on his Walkman. So on the school bus, I'd be listening to music from MTV. Now, without Leon, I would never have heard Soundgarden. I would never have heard Pearl Jam. And like all my favorite bands came wow. from those initial mixtapes. Yeah. So Leon is the most influential person to me. But when I asked that to Jamie from Talking Dad podcast, who also guests on the podcast regularly, he was like, oh, I'll probably say Lemmy because like they were hit, Motorhead were his first favorite band. And from that point, all the spider webs went out. So people take that a different way. Um, and I think the hardest question to, for people to ask is I asked them to leave just one song for our playlist. So they have to decide on one song. And, um, one of our guests, he tried to, uh, he tried to leave two and I wouldn't let him. He, I heard the first, <laughs> his first choice and it was perfect. I so yes, I, was like, I, I don't want to hear the second mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to um, Brian from my weekly mixtape, um, yeah. yeah, he's got a wonderful choice of song for the playlist. 
Yeah, it's great because he said always. Oh, he, he was talking about you know I could have had two. There's one this, and then and then you basically cut, cut him off and said, right, that'll do. That's fine, <laughs> almost. Yeah, no, he yeah. yeah, no, he he literally he won the whole show with his answer because it was perfect because it's such a beautiful. I, I don't want to give it away, but it's such a beautiful song and the story he told around it was perfect. And it's just like, you know, after that, how, you're not going to beat that. So just shut up. <laughs> I'm keeping my mouth shut in case I ever end up having to answer these yeah. questions. So I'm not going to, I'm oh, not going yeah, to answer yeah, yeah. them. You're, you're on the so. list. So I find the yeah. three, like the Go three on. albums and the three artists really difficult oh, that's to tough. pin down. Yeah. So my three artists definitely uh, at the moment would be Pearl Jam, who it always is and Ben Folds, who it always is. And then Jason Isbell at the moment. Um, albums is really really difficult I have a favourite album which is Do Little by the Pixies and I oh, the rest of it could be whatever I've been listening to lots we'd fill in the other two gaps you know yeah I mean you, you know you know I'm going to give too much away about one of your episodes possibly but on, on one episode that I listened to it might have been the most recent where Deftones were mentioned, and they picked Fur, mm-hmm. and and I thought, I thought, well, that's interesting, because in a sense, you, you were right that a lot of people will go to the White Pony album and they'll go, oh, it's that, that's the definitive or whatever, and this that, and the other, mm-hmm. and and I mean, there's an American band, and I've met the lead singer of the band. He's he's not with them anymore with the band. They've split. Uh, we were going around the same sort of time as Deftones, and they they used to play the same gigs together and concerts and. Mm-hmm. And um, Chino is actually in a group with one. Is in a duo with one of the members of of the group Far. From um, oh yeah, I was listening to Crosses this weekend because they got a new album coming out, haven't they? They have. So the lead yeah. singer Jonah, who I've met, um, I was saying to him about we were talking about one of the, about that we were talking at, at, in Nottingham. We did a gig at the the Running Horse in Nottingham, and we were talking there. And I was saying to him how my favourite Far album is an album called Tin Strings, with Tin Cans with Strings to You, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it is. And he, he was intrigued because it's like, well, most people would go for the next album after that, which is called Water and Solutions. And he was saying, well, what was it about that? And I said, Water and Solutions is a great, incredible album. I said, but there's something about that album before it that had the power because it's a bloody loud album um, for the most part. But the lyrics therein as well have so much in there feeling. You, you know how you can tell when a lyricist is writing lyrics for the sake that they're writing lyrics for a song, but you can also tell when a lyricist is writing writing something because he has to get this out of him. And it's that flow of emotion on that album that drew me into it in, in essence and it's almost like when you find an album like that you're putting your own personal self into there in essence it's a reason why i used to when i was in bands and writing songs and people would go oh what's that song about after a gig i go what does it mean to you because i don't like mm, to tell exactly. people in a sense what i'm writing about because that pushes on them my own where I'm coming from, whereas music is supposed to be, in my opinion, 
for everybody. So you leave it to them to imprint yeah. themselves onto it. But that's art, isn't it? And that's why, and it's subjectivity, isn't it? It's like the Mona Lisa. You can go and see the Mona Lisa, and everybody gets something different from it. Yeah. Whether you know, whether you know, rambling, but you, you know what I mean. It that that's the joy of it, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. One, and a good good example of um, an album like you were talking about, though, is um, oh, there's a few, isn't there? But um, the Holy Bible by the Manic Street Preachers. Like no one else apart from Richie Edwards could have written that lyrically, I don't think. And no. it's and it's a tough listen at times. But the lyrics will will mean different things to me than they do to the writer. You know, so and there's stuff as well. But like like my favorite is um by a long way is Ben Folds and people can take his lyrics all different ways. Me and Leon have had several conversations about, you know, oh, I think it means this. And I'm like, well, actually, I think it means that. And, you know, and it's the same lines. It's just people in different spaces take the meaning completely differently. So. Absolutely. But, um, I mean, um, Ben Folds did some good work with William Shatner. That's right. Yes, he did. He did. Um, just in terms of formats i suppose i am starting to move away from the idea of having a regular show in the feed every week in the constant social media stuff so one of the joys of doing the the 10 questions is that I can just send someone a message with the questions two weeks later, we can record the episode and we can put it out. Um, And that does kind of lend itself to being a weekly thing, but I'm definitely moving away from that now. So what I'm thinking of turning or no, what I am going to turn the show into is like a series of standalone mini series. Okay. So where I might do um, six or six or eight episodes or six or eight podcasts around nirvana is one i've got planned yeah and that'll be a standalone thing in its own feed in a kind of like a records and bands presents and then here's my six eight episodes about nirvana and then there's one about iron maiden um because i think there's a call for these sort of short run podcasts if you like like you don't get a whole series of the latest net netflix series and then like that, you don't get fifty-two every week, do you? You might get no. ten that drop, and then they spend the rest of the year promoting like that, that ten. Um, so what I did at the start of the year, I had an idea about making a podcast around Neil Young, who is another one of my favourites. Yeah, and I thought what I can do is just do fifteen to twenty-minute episodes each one. I'll review one of his albums, but there's sixty-five of the buggers. Yes, yep. so. Mm-hmm. I made a trailer, as you do, and I put it in the feed as like a placeholder. So this is going to be the Neil Young show when it finally comes. So I've got almost like I've got the name reserved for it in in, in all the feeds. Now that four minute trailer, with without any work for me whatsoever, gets like 150 downloads every month. So people are clearly wow. looking for something. Yeah. So yeah. if people are if people are searching for Neil Young podcasts, then maybe they're searching for 
Nirvana podcast. And yeah. I'll be honest, that's nearly as many podcast that's nearly as many downloads as I get for a show yeah. on the normal feed. So I'm just wondering if there's any sense in the constant plug of social media all the time and if I can actually do something more along those lines. I like that idea. I mean, but also, I mean, the 10 questions of doom uh, format as well is a good one because in a sense, every guest that you have, that episode is completely different to the episode before and the episode after because every single person is different to each other. So you will have a different thing every time. Yeah. And we're still going to do that. Oh, good. Yep. So, well, when, so each of these new series will have, and I might make, so I, I've got written, I've got a Nirvana show in the minute, it's six or seven episodes. I've got a Johnny Cash American Recordings yes. series. Yeah. That's, that's sort of half written at the moment. And then Leon and I are going to go through all the Iron Maiden albums and review all of those. So over, by the end of this winter, I should have three Three more feeds, if you like, each being a Records and Bands Presents, Robbie's Nirvana show, Robbie's Johnny Cash show, Robbie's Iron Maiden show. But then the feed will still be what it is. Just it, I'm not going to be fussed about. I have to have something every week. I should have worn a Maiden T-shirt. I've got three of them. Yeah. The only time I've seen Iron Maiden was with Blaze Bailey in 1997. Wow. The only time I've seen them is later than that because I saw them for the oh, what was the oh, what's the album that they brought out where you've got the Bruce Dickinson on piano on the album. Um, oh, I don't know. The, I don't know, but it was a double as well, double disc, double CD one. But I saw them for that tour at Nottingham, and so that oh, was cool. only about five or six years ago that I saw them. Was that at the big arena, or was that at the Rock Rock City? Or it was at Mo- it was at the big arena at uh, Motorola. Right. Think, is it called or something or Motor whatever it's called? I don't know. I don't know. They all have been weird to a few shows there. at Rock City. That was always a good place. Oh God, I've been to a few. Uh, big country yeah, Rock City. They were incredible there. with Stuart Adamson. Oh, excellent. Uh, Slash's Snake Pit. I saw them at Rock City. Cool, excellent. I think I saw Terrorvision there. I saw Therapy yep. there. Um, I'm friends with Tony from Terrorvision. Oh, excellent. Cool. They were my favourite band for a long time. First, My first gig was Terrorvision. So. But yeah, I drove Sam up to Nottingham to see Green Day, and then instead of going to see Green Day, I went to the pictures and watched Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. <laughs> I've still not seen The Last Samurai. No, right. Well, yeah, you've... Toss a coin between like warning era Green Day and The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. I think I may have chosen the best of a bad bunch. I don't know. That's brilliant. Love that. Um, let's put, um, yeah, Snake Pit were fantastic live. Uh, it's yeah, t- taking me off now. So, I mean, the, the Nirvana thing, I was going to go down that. I've thought, you know, yeah. about the Nirvana. Um, you know what? I'm going to make this a point now or, or ask you what you think. Do you think that when, that when they got Dave into Nirvana, there was a change in the group? and in the way that the music was arranged in a sense, because Dave, so before that, they had a certain thing to them that I'm not going to call it messy, but it had a sort of certain, almost that feel to it. 
the bleach and etc. before and all that. But do you think that when they got Dave in, that it's not just the change of produ- producers that they had with Butch and, and whatever, but it could have been also with um, uh, with Dave as well, because Dave is very organised in how his, how the songs are arranged, in a sense. I don't know how much say Dave Grohl would have had in the arrangement and songwriting process in Nirvana. Yeah. I can imagine the answer to that would be not a lot. I think it was. Well, I don't, I'm not, not saying Dave Grohl. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I'm no, no. That's it. I don't think. I, I don't think in terms of arrangement. I think he br- brings a an an edge with his drumming because obviously he's from that hardcore scene beforehand when he was playing in Scream and that wasn't he? So uh, um, I think he brings an edge with, with his drumming that the previous guy didn't have. And I don't know. I don't. I think the difference between Bleach and Nevermind is Kurt Kurt learning songwriting, having two more years of learning about writing songs. And I don't think you can ever underestimate the impact of Butch Vig on that record. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. But I I think the... So Dave Grohl, right? Yep. If, if you want, if you want another, if you want another, um, Hot Robbie take. burns his whole podcast down. Yeah, if you like, Dave Grohl is excellent at writing Foo Fighters songs. Yeah. Okay, there we do go. You, you get why? Yeah, I do. Dave Grohl, he writes yeah. excellent. But Pearl Jam, my favorite band, they 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 last. 10 years, I suppose, 15 years, they've got really good at writing Pearl Jam songs. And then they do their other stuff away on their side projects and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's where the interesting stuff is done. Whereas, like, Pearl Jam records, Foo Fighters records, they're now just an excuse to go off on tour again. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so. But, I mean, I, I do think that when they got when they got Dave in, though, I don't know whether they intended it in a sense... But because Dave's got the voice that he's got, it worked well in unison with with um, with Kurt's voice in a live situation for sure. You can hear it on like you know when you see when you see concert footage and live footage of them in a sense. And I think that might have added an edge in a sense because you had that harmony that was there that he wouldn't have had with the drummer beforehand or whatever. But I mean, even Chris has got a great voice for that as well. Mm. So. You, you find bits on like, you know, like that, like never mind, and then, you know, the the follow-up album, you'll find where there's these beautiful harmonization between them on those two albums that you wouldn't have had on the album before. And I'm wondering if do you know what I mean? It's almost like there was that change mm. there as well. I'll admit that Butch probably had a hell of a lot to do with it, no doubt. But the fact that he's got those uh, parts to put together to create that is a good thing or or was that change that brought them from the, there where they were known to the almost stratosphere with never mind yeah and i suppose as well if you know you are replacing drummers there must be something behind that so if i don't know if there's not the shared vision or if there's not the trust there between 
collaborators or conspirators, whatever you want to call it, then you don't, you know, everyone has to be on board. And if everyone was on board and everyone was on the same hymn sheet, then maybe they would never have brought Dave Grohl in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Or or, or Rush wouldn't have brought in Neil Peart. Wow. There you go. So um, how do you choose what guest you have on the show? Um, whoever wants to come and play, really. Um, basically, it's pretty much me and my brother and some mates. Yep. And then when it comes to when it comes to like inviting mainly other podcasters on, it's I listen to their shows and I think yeah they sound they sound they sound cool they sound sound um, I enjoy what they're doing I want to hang out with them so I'll see if they want to come and play with me um, and. That's it. If 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 you make cool stuff and you're not you're not an asshole, then you're welcome on my show. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, uh, we, what we have been moving into lately is we're trying to um, use the podcast a little bit to push a few like local bands that play in the scene that my brother plays in. So mm. alongside the podcast, we've also got a, a very small, very DIY record label. So we're putting out stuff. Um, I've just put out Sam's last EP this summer. That was our first proper release, so we put that out. So if we can um, get people from the the scene up in Hereford, which is where Sam is, um, if we can get them on the show so they can talk about what they're doing. So I've had Ryan from Carbon Heart on. He's a really good interview. Um, We've had Michelle Quadra, who is or she was a promoter up in Hereford. So she's quite her and Rich Lovell, who was a guest we had on really early, early on. Um, they were really integral in actually kickstarting what's known as the Hereford underground, like the little scene up there where, the, you know, there were venues willing to put on punk nights and heavy metal nights and stuff like that. And now Hereford is, is quietly thriving with an underground music scene and there's two or three wow. little venues. So, so if we can, I don't live up there anymore. I moved away like 20 years ago, but Sam's still up there. So, But if we can lend our platform to those guys up there, then I feel like I feel like we should do, really. So, yeah, so as we go forward, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be showcasing a few more like local bands, if you like. Okay, P- push that then. Where can people find the, the record label details? Our record label details is um, that's Lost Hiker Records. So, and that's it, losthikerrecords.com. Thank you. Yep. Go on, guys. Go there and find some great music. It's always good looking for new stuff. You're, you're bound to find something. Yeah. And and not everything that we shout about, we're ne- we, we might not necessarily work with any of the bands that we're shouting about. But one day we might. Yeah. But we might not. But if in the meantime, I can use my social platforms or my podcast to give them a push to get, I don't know, get them 100 or 10 more listens on Spotify or three extra people through the door at one of their gigs. And that's that's good for everyone, I reckon. Yep. You can find Lost Ica Records on Instagram as well, by the way. Great page there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So how do you record and edit the show? Um. So for recording, generally we use Zoom, like remote stuff. I've used other platforms. Um, I always seem to come back to Zoom. It's just easy and everyone knows it and 
I can do stuff with it that like playing in music if I need to or other little bits and pieces where we're messing around that all comes in quite easily um I'm trying to do more solo stuff with just me and the microphone um even after like two and a half nearly three years I still find it really quite difficult I kind of get a bit self-conscious and I feel like I I feel like I need someone to bounce off yeah um my energy levels when I'm podcasting are quite a bit higher to where I am normally. You probably notice I'm quite high energy on this. Yeah. Like some of that comes from like some of my mental health stuff as well, but yeah, I can be quite high energy when I'm recording, certainly with other people. I get, I get quite excitable to be honest. Um, but yeah, so yeah, mostly zoom, mostly remote recordings. Um, I drop those into audacity. Um, I do a bit of a clean up and I don't know some people edit quite a lot some people don't do much at all um I'll edit as heavily as I feel I need to okay does that make sense it does so um oh how am I trying to say um so like the Q&A shows are fairly straightforward yeah um sometimes when it's just me and some pals we can go quite long so we had one of our friends, Clint, on to talk about a Pearl Jam record, Yield. Yeah. And it was nearly like a three-hour recording by the time we got got through it. So by the time I was done with the edit, it was a tight hour and a bit. Um, and it really just focused on that album. Um, or if we have four people on and it's a bit of a play-around type show, then there can be a lot of cross-talk and I like to clean all of that up and shift stuff around. Sometimes we'll go back to topics later on and I'll lift bits up from here and drop it back into the main conversation. So I'm always kind of aiming for a good representation of the conversation we have rather than like a word-for-word. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Regurgitation, if that makes sense. Um, so once I've got that, and then I'll drop it into GarageBand and that's where I'll kind of build the show with some of the different elements so i'll put the outro in maybe a midsection if need be if i'm playing in some songs i'll put some cleaned up versions in through garage band um and then i just find it garage band i find it easier to adjust and balance levels and stuff um and like the block style i find really easy just to see where everything is um but yeah out of all like the different elements of podcasting it is the editing that i enjoy the most um it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like I really enjoy writing them. Yeah. And then, even if when I say writing, even if that's just me making a list of how I want conversations to flow, and that's more so in the other show, really. Yeah. Um. But I love the editing. It's kind of where I can. It's where I get to tell the story or make the show how it should be. And like you can really impact a show just from leaving in a pause or taking some time out just to move things along a bit. And it might be that that section over here is, it'd be more impactful if I put it here just after a break or, or something that more so in my other shows than records and bands, to be honest. But yeah, I, I really do like editing. I like, polishing the turd if we <laughs> as they say you've reminded me because uh the episode of mine that's coming up this week uh because i've been listening to it obviously because you know editing it um mm. in there i mentioned about an episode i recorded last year i did a uh, round table 
uh, one-off chat group with uh, podcasters that talk about spy films and James Bond films because last year was the 60th anniversary of Doctor No Mm -hmm. coming out. So we had a round table of that and I put a call out for people who wanted to be a part of it and and I thought, oh, well, we'll have four or five. I wasn't really expecting suddenly for it to be a group of 10 of us in total. Oh, my word, yeah. In total that were in the show. But the only thing is that the more people that you've got, and some of them weren't on video and somewhere and that sort of thing. And that, 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 the more people that you have on video, the more that, that's a completely different thing altogether. Yeah. But when I came back to listening to it, I was listening to it and I was thinking, well, that's good what they've said. And so is that. But the only problem is that they're both saying it at exactly the same time as each other. Or you've got three yeah. people saying something that is really good. So what I ended up doing there was I, did some really clever editing where I stretched the show essentially by snipping these bits out and elongating the conversation so that all these things were clearly said so that people could hear them clearly, but nobody would know that they were all said over the top of each other. It's like they followed on from each other or they were worked in with each other essentially. Mm -hmm. So um, on one of my other shows, I do, I, do a podcast um, around hiking and the outdoors. And I was interviewing yep. a chap um, who was just leaving the RAF and he was hiking from Cardiff up to Conway. So the length of Wales. And that was the whole point of the conversation was with us here about your hike, 300 mile hike along the mountains of Wales. And about halfway through, he was telling me how he finds great solace in the mountains and being outside. And then he dropped a massive bombshell of, of uh, a massive traumatic event that happened to him in, you know, in his youth that I yeah. wasn't expecting. And we had a long conversation about that. And that was a really difficult edit because it was like, we don't need all the gory details in the show, but yeah. it's his story to tell. So it's like finding the line and then, making sure he's happy and being like very sensitive stuff. Um, and I, I know it seems, seems wrong, but that was, a I did a bloody good job of that. It was yeah. a real, it was a real challenge. Like, cause yeah, honestly, like, so yeah, this chap basically, um, from nowhere, didn't know it was coming. He told me how he was violently sexually assaulted at 16. Yeah. And it's just like, where do you go from there? But, in and we did discuss it and we did get into stuff but you wouldn't know that in the edit even though enough was left in to convey his story does that make sense it's it does and i think that's yeah. the joy of the edit is that like that's where you have that it's difficult without being again you know without talking about the show in full really and we're not here to talk about that show but it's i think in the edit it you can elevate a conversation to something more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Like, think yeah, so. yeah. But um, I mean, you, you, you say that about that show. I mean, we're not going to, to to dwell on it because, like you said, that's that's another yeah. one of your shows. Yeah. But it's an awful thing to say. But it's those situations when you're doing a podcast, and you, you, it comes it comes along. These things are said, and then you think. It, it's terrible because you think to yourself, oh, God, that's gold. 
that is podcasting gold in a sense. But also, it's like, how do you, you know, I don't want to dwell, don't want to stick on that because it sounds nasty saying it that way. Mm. But then it's only because of that because you think that's something that people need to hear in a sense to get that message across in a way. But then when these things are said, when you're in the editing mode, you have to think to yourself, now, how can I give that the respect it needs, but also don't, you know, try and sensationalize it in a sense, just put it out there that, so that people notice it in a sense and not to, yeah, like I said, not to make a big thing of it. It's there. Because mm. I think that's the problem with a lot of issues these days is that people are like, well, I've got this issue out and this is it. This is the big advert that I've done. And I don't like, in a sense, some of these big issues being pushed that way. I like the fact that it's just, you can just talk about it. It's not a big, humongous thing, but it still Mm. makes its point. So on my other show, I have got into, like, with other guests, so um, we have never chap on who had a series of traumatic brain injuries from playing rugby and we were talking about how that affects him daily and his mental okay. health and how he is around you know and how that changed him and everything but like from the start i knew we were talking about that and it was very much a case of saying like right dave this is a safe space this is me and you having a conversation you say exactly what you what you say as much as you feel comfortable saying and if in two days time a week's time a month's time you're not happy with that it'll be gone i'll yep. take it down like is it, you know not that they get final approval of the thing but it's their story to tell and i'm just conveying it so you know if they change you know if today they're happy with with, with something going something personal going out but tomorrow they're not well that's fine change your mind podcasting doesn't work if it isn't open and honest and because yeah. that's what it's built on i think you know we all work really hard on our podcasts and people come to our shows regardless of what show it is you're doing and um they give to it so we give to it through our hard work making it and our guests give to it by sharing their stories and respect should be given on both sides and that respect comes with open and honesty and knowing openness and honesty and knowing that um yeah it's a safe space and as soon as you take that away then none of it works anymore like like if you invite me on your show and then three yep. days later you've put you've edited it and i sound like a complete asshole like i'm not going to come on your show again <laughs> yeah you, you know and yep. so on and so forth it's like and i i think it's just about respect isn't it really anyway sorry that's okay i get that yep i had the same thing with a so i I've had episodes where I've, before I've put them out, I've sent people the episode to listen to. Some people want that. They want, oh, I'll I'll have a listen first before you put it out. And so they had a listen to it, and there was a story that they gave. I'm I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, But they gave a story during it of a a situation where they went out with a friend of theirs and uh, who was, you know, a well-known singer. I'm not going to go there, like I said. And... And then when they they uh, they ended up sending me a re-edit of it where they took that story out and they said, look, I had to think about it. 
there's nothing offensive about it. He says, I just think that there's a certain distance. He said, that's a friendship that I've got with this person and I value that friendship. And he does. He probably wouldn't mind me actually of saying that, but I don't think it's necessary to the episode to, to have it in there. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm happy with people doing that if, if need be to go, you know, can I have a listen to it mm-hmm. first? And, you know, it, it's, it's the respect that you have because like you said, in this situation, unlike a radio show in a studio, in this situation, it's almost more open and you're putting more of yourself out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference, is that it's more of that. And it's one person to a person. It's not like, oh, I've come here to plug this, I've come here to plug that like a radio show would be. And I think that's why you've got to respect these guests. So if they do come to you and say, can I have a listen to it first? Because I might have said something or this, that, that. Yeah, sure. Because that's how I think independent podcasting and the best podcast are. Mm. So recently I've done a couple of other people's shows and like I've given more of myself to those shows than I ever have my own Okay, because that's what's warranted on those shows. If you, you know, so yeah. I was talking to Phil from Mondo street social club the other day about, um, my, my, my mental health struggles and stuff. And like the stuff on there, I've told him that only my closest friends and family know, and that's gone out on his podcast. And I'm happy with that. That's fine. Um, but if I just gone on there and gone, yeah, I struggle, you know, I have a bit of struggle with this, but it's all right. And not gone into the details and I'm not giving his show the respect it deserves, you know? So, so right. Where am I going to now? Number eight, we'll, we'll put these both together. So show music and show logo. Uh, my, my attempt at your show logo is dreadful. So how did they come about? So, did you design that and everything? And it's your music, is it? So um, a, a friend of ours did a logo originally, and it was really good, and it did us for about 18 months or so, and then I decided I just wanted something a bit cleaner um, to the point, and it's just a black and white. It's a pictogram of a vinyl record, and then the title of the show underneath. I think it's pretty clean and straightforward, does what it says on the tin. And then the music is uh, Free Songs for a Quid by Alvin and the Angry Barrels, which is my brother's band. And like I said, we just put his EP out on the label. Um, It's handy having musicians in the family. So my other brother does the theme music for one of the other shows as well. Um, So, yeah, it's always handy just to be able to pinch music, like original music from musicians and go, I'll have that, thank you very much. And they can't say nothing about it because you tell mum on them. You know, that's, you know, I'm going on a tangent again here. Uh, damn you, Zencaster, for having a restricted time. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing that I found when I've been in bands, or I've been in bands, is that when you've got people who are musicians that are friends, you get introduced to more stuff than you would do if it's just somebody who mm. listens to music generally. Musicians themselves are magpies when it comes to you know, trying to find new music to look for and and finding those little gems that you wouldn't find otherwise. Well, you say that. Sam plays in his band and he does his Christmas music and everything, but, like, he, he still only listens to stuff he listened to 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> there's other, but like, Obviously, there's bands in around the scene that he plays with that he likes, but in terms of, 
I don't know, like I'm the same as well. I don't really trust 45 year old blokes who are into the new music on the scene in the hit parade. Like I'm quite, I'm quite happy listening to stuff that's 30 years old. My kid, my kid listens to the Via Rodrigo. I'm not meant to listen to the, to the Via Rodrigo. You know, I feel stupid now saying that because thinking about it, you know, I was gigging when I was in my twenties and probably, you know, very early thirties. So Mm. I was probably of that age where it would have done that anyway, where you'd be like, Oh yeah, I will listen to Rage Against the Machine Mm. when I'm, well, even then when Rage Against the Machine came out, I was like 22, probably 23. So that's, that's, you know, so when I was gigging then, I'm just trying to, I'm probably just imprinting that thinking that if I went out on the circuit now, I'd be the same, but you probably made me think, no, you you probably wouldn't be Marv, you know, you're stuck in the way. But also that like, so my my daughter, she's one out of the three of them. She's the one that's really into music, and she's she's finding new stuff all the time. And I'm quite guilty of like if she's listening to Billy Eilish, I'll be like, well, maybe you should listen to PJ Harvey because that's my version of that. If do you know what I mean? But she's doing exactly the same as I did with Queen. Yeah, I push back against Queen because yeah. it's not cool to like the same music as your dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're a teenager, how, how punk is it to listen to the same bands as your dad? You know? And all right, my mum took us to see Rancid in Birmingham one year and she came down the front with us and that, and that that's completely different. But, you know, my <laughs> yeah. mother did a Rancid gig. That was amazing. Was it your show I was listening to or somebody else? I probably got them all mixed up. When someone was saying that the, that the mother walked in and they said, uh, they said about a song or whatever and they said... Um, and it was a cover version of a Who song or something, and they said, "Yeah, I didn't like the original either, or something." That was um, yeah, that that was um, me and Leon talking about his um, his lovely mother who, who we lost last year. So um, yeah, that was us rem- having a bit of a reminisce. Um, yeah, it was quite funny. Leon's mum was lovely, but she didn't like his music, and his dad used to all work nights as well. You see, so uh, as soon as that tape player went on, it was getting shouted at for having the music on too loud. Like you barely heard a beat of it, you know. So, if it's one of those old tape cassette players, you could hear the button being pressed down. A chunk, <laughs> good chunks. <laughs> it's like the four track I've got over there. You can hear when I press this, press it to record over there. Is that one of those old Tascam ones? Is it? Or it is a it is a Porter Studio, yeah, an old Tascam Porter Studio. Oh, excellent! I think studio. we might have had one, and it's got the um, quarter inch jacks on it. Quarter inch jacks. Quarter inch jacks for plugging yes, in the it has. guitars yeah, and stuff. The, yeah, yep, yeah. I think big, we yep. used to have. I think we used to mess around with one of them when uh, when I, I tried to hit drums in time and failed, so. So for anybody listening, that's what my microphone is going through, is through a a port, Tascam Porter Studio 04. I don't I don't plug, I don't get any money for it, but you can give you can give me a freebie if you like Tascam. And then that goes through a audio interface into the into the computer. There you go. Why can't you just go straight into your audio interface? Because um I don't know. I would need a. Yeah, so I've got I needed an XLR it. Mic. I needed it from cable. Yeah, I need an XLR that goes through uh, goes to two phonos because the audio interface has phonos 
left and right. So, yeah, I could do that. Oh, right, okay. XLR to phonos, yeah, I suppose. Just... All right. It's a very basic. I was just wondering. Um, it, it seemed yeah. like an extra step to me because I've got, like, and again, cut this out because it's sausage making, but I've got XLR mic into the back of the audio interface straight into yep. the computer. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look into that. Yeah. That might get rid of some of my yeah. issues I've been having lately, actually. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you can pick up an audio interface. It's got, like, um, uh, like a dual plug on the back, so it will take a XLR and it will take a quarter-inch jack as well. And then that can go straight in there. Or buy something like one of those um, Zoom X5 rec- recorders. You can pick them up for about 190 quid, I think, which is a lot, you know, it's a lot of money, I, I know. But yeah. it does it, and it's got built-in mic on the top as well and everything, so it's it might just remove that one step away out, out of your system for you. That's good. Yep. The only reason why I have it like this is because I also use it to record music as well to the four track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to. So that, that's why it's done like that. But um, yeah, might be better. Um, my friend Clint would love you. He records all this stuff onto tape. He, he sits and makes all this uh, amazing, sweeping, ambient suites of music, I think you would call them. And then he busts them down onto a, onto a cassette. Because he just oh, loves he just cool. loves analog, yeah. He makes it all on GarageBand and then he just busts it all down onto tape and stuff. Really, really talented fella. That's great. So, you know, we're, we're already, you know, we're going to skip straight to that one then. So, it's almost a redundant question because I sort of know the answer to this, uh, but we'll ask it anyway. So, you are you a digital or a physical media sort of guy? both so exactly yep. i definitely couldn't do the pod yeah i could couldn't do the podcast without digital media yep. um i've got an apple music subscription and it's a family version so sam has it has access to it he's got an account on it and leon has an account on it and then all my kids have got it so six of us use the one digital media account and like three of us who use podcasts it's really difficult to say to someone would you like to come on the podcast? Oh, yes, please. Right, go and buy f- these four CDs to listen to so we can then do the show. Isn't going to happen. Yeah. But there's something really special about putting on a record and going sitting on the back step and watching the sun go down and listening to a lovely record. Whether, like, like I keep saying at the minute, it's sad cowboy songs. Um, yeah, I buy special stuff on vinyl. Yeah. And the rest of it, I just consume digitally so well that's got that question quickly so what what episodes is the one or are the many episodes of yours that really stand out um i need to kind of go back through the feed and curate it a bit because i think as you'll hopefully would have heard the audio quality has improved from the first run of episodes we've done um I feel I've got better at being on the mic as well and obviously better at editing and all the different processes that go into it. Um, and now I think I'm pretty good at putting the show together. Um, but some of my favorites would be the first time Leon came on because, like I said, we've been mates for 30-odd years. But I left home, or I left my hometown 20 years ago, and 
you don't stay as close as if you're still, you know, you don't stay as close with your mates here you when you move away. It's quite That's difficult. True. Everyone's having kids and getting married and we kind of drifted apart. Um, but now he's on the show a bit more regular and we're back on in each other's orbits again, which is brilliant. And, um, yeah, so the first show I did with him and then we did another one about number of the beast by Iron Maiden. And that was a good show. Um, any of the Q and a shows are a good entry point. I think Brian from my weekly mixtape is a fun episode. The one yep. we were talking about earlier. Great episode. Episode, episode 100 was fun because I thought I was taking on the questions of doom and, my brother had managed to turn the tables and had gone out to a load of previous guests and some of my podcasting friends and it got special questions made up for that. So, uh, so that was a lot of fun to our episode 100. Um, we did a quiz show for our third birthday, okay. which was, um, it was, that was absolute carnage. We did a proper pop, pub quiz, like or pop quiz and yep. with like four or five other people, and just like that was a massive edit job and it came out all right. Yeah, I think it came out all right. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find that and listen to that next, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, I think it is called the Big, the Big Fat Quiz or something silly like that. But um, yeah, check it out. It's quite fun. I think my brother said that something along the lines of Thriller selling 100 million copies isn't that many, actually. And I was like, what? So. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, again, he's like, yeah, he, he couldn't believe that Thriller had sold only a hundred million copies, even though it was like three times as four times as many as the the next one down on the list of biggest selling records of all time. Like so, but yeah. there you go. You will, we will never break those records now. They will. We know we're with streaming and downloads, and people just don't buy albums like they used to. No, it's a shame. It's a it's a format that um, is sorely lacking in some ways with with, with 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 people because of the whole streaming platform thing. People will just sort of like cherry pick certain songs. They'll hear a song and they go, "Yeah, I love that one. Mm. I don't need the whole album." But there's something about a really well constructed and put together album that if you listen to it from beginning to end and, you know, back in the day, you listen to the beginning, you listen to the whole of side one from beginning to end, then you turn it over and whatever, going old style there. But there's something about that, that if you leave, let yourself into that. And I used to be the person that did that and then, and then poured over all the details that were in the, you know, on the, the, the sleeve and the cover and everything and the artwork. And yeah, it's something I think, you know, has been lost almost to time in some ways. And it's something I've been doing more of since doing the podcast. I've really got back into listening to uh, listening to albums as pieces of work yeah. as a whole, rather than dipping in and out. Um, this year, in fact, there's like two records that I just can't switch off at the minute. One is um, Zach Bryan. It's a self-titled record by this uh, guy from Oklahoma who's a country singer and it's, it's brilliant. It's such a good record from start to finish. And then album of the year for me this year. And again, there's it's 10 out of 10 all the way through. And I listen to it 
every day. I've listened to it every day since June, and that's Weather Veins by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. And it's an absolutely monumental. It's a really special piece of work. It's really, really good. Like, it's... Yeah, if Springsteen was born in Alabama, and yeah, it's just it's just a fantastic piece of work, and I can't tell enough people how good it is. So that's my recommendation. Yep. If my friend Chris, who is a big Bruce Springsteen fan, hears that, there you go. Someone for you to listen to there, Chris. Yeah, get on it. So would you say then? I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that person. Is that is that would that be your? I bet he's a big, big artist, and I should know them or not. What would you say is a little-known artist that people should be checking out? Well, this is difficult because, like, like I was saying earlier, I've always felt my tastes are like pretty mainstream, aren't they? But or maybe just off the mainstream. But a few artists that I really, really love that are maybe maybe deserve more ears. So certainly over here, um, Ben Folds. I think yep. is uh, like, I think he's argued like for me, he's one of the best songwriters of all time. Okay. I think he's just, I think he's amazing that the way he uses, yeah, just, yeah, the way he uses lyrics and the way he puts a song together. And I just think he's an absolute genius. He can, he can take, take you from laughing hysterically to crying your eyes out in about three bars like he's just he's just something else entirely and i don't think i think people people might know brick or um song for the dumped or like you were saying the stuff stuff he did with william shatner but yeah. i don't think people realize just quite how good he is um and then like i just said jason isbell um he's really 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 good but I don't know. I just like good songs now. So, like I was saying, about if, if we can find a half-decent band up in Hereford and just give them a push. So Carbon Heart, Ryan I had on, they're a really yep. good little punk band, actually, to be fair. Um, I don't see them as little, no, no. I see like some of the more established acts, if you like, because they're bands I like, just because they're not... like The bands I like have never been huge, so yep. it's, it's not weird to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I've okay. always kind of, yeah, yeah. I've, like the bands that I like have always kind of been under the radar anyway. So it's hard to like the number of people in the UK who oh I've heard of Pearl Jam but I don't know their stuff. Like yeah. Pearl Jam have been the biggest band in the world for thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> but in yep. in the UK, like eight out of ten people wouldn't couldn't tell you a Pearl Jam song. But the impact they, that that band had on me and kids my age is massive. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard with little-known artists because, to me, they're the artists that I've always loved. So, I've got most of Pearl Jam's albums anyway in my own collection. Yeah. So I know I know where you're coming from mm. over there. So what advice would you give to people if they were starting their own podcast? Ooh. Might get a bit ranty. Okay. <laughs> just make what you want to make. Make yeah. it how you could make it rather than how you should make it or how you're told you should make it. There's an awful lot of people out there who are trying to grift you out of money, I suppose, by telling you how to make your podcast the same as everyone else does. So 
my advice would be ignore those people. Yeah. Take your time. Find your voice. Play. Have fun. Fail. Start again. Play around. Um, find people who see the world in a similar way that you do and play with them. Um, stick your fingers up at the gatekeepers. Yep. Because, you know, they are many. And don't ever, ever let anyone tell you that your stuff doesn't count because it's not X, Y, or Z, or it's not, it doesn't count because it hasn't got video or it's only hosted on Spotify or whatever. Don't let anyone tell you your stuff doesn't count because it does. If you make it and you put it out there and you've worked hard on it, it counts. It all counts. You made a thing. Be proud of it. Send it into the world. And then repeat it as often as you want. It doesn't have to be weekly. Everyone tells you to make a weekly podcast. You don't have to. No. That's the joy of it. Do, Do what you want. Like Embrace it and explore it and take it as far as you can take it. So, yep, it's all an go. extension of you. Make sure that the show is an extension of who you are as a person and something that you'll enjoy doing because because yeah. there's, there's the fed up factor. If you don't go that way mm. and you're trying to it, do the same as everybody else and do it by the numbers, you're going to get fed up of it because it's not who you are. It took me a long while to stop looking at my download stats and now I don't care anymore. Um. And also with like the social media, like it feels when, when you are trying to do it on like a weekly schedule and promote it on social media, it does feel like a bit of a grind. And it also feels that if you put a show out on a Monday, the next one comes out the following Monday and completely smothers one before. So the previous one doesn't get any time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. You almost you forget about the one that you've just done, and that could be the best piece of work you've done. But as soon as it's up and out, you're on to the next one. That's true. So, like like I was saying earlier about the way I'm hopefully going to evolve what I'm doing is I'm hopefully give things time to to breathe and to find their feet and to find their place in the world, rather than putting the next one out on top of it a week later. And also with the social media stuff as well, like the promotion of it, I find that if I do a load of promotion, I get the same amount of listeners as if I do no promotion. Because everyone's got a podcast and everyone is throwing their stuff out on social media and everyone is vying for attention. And eventually people will find the shows that they like and they'll stick with them. And if that's 15 downloads for a show or 150 downloads or like 60 Sam Sam will play play a gig to twenty five people and say that's yep. a good room. Yep. You know it's yeah twenty five people want to listen to you every week. That's brilliant. It is. Yep. That's brilliant. Like you know, yep. and all right, Joe Rogan might have twenty five million or something. Who cares what Joe Rogan's doing? Yeah. Yeah. Probably I mean, on the uh, grift yeah. doing something. Yeah. You know. I mean, I've said that things like the Joe Rogans and things like that, they're, they're by the numbers and they're things that people will listen to in the background, whereas the more mm. indie podcast, I think they're the ones where people remember more and it, it's it's the mark more, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, also, there's a, just me. I think there's a bit of a distinction to be made as well because, like, I know we like I spoke at the start of this about like Kevin Smith and Mark Maron, and I still see those guys as independent yeah. podcasters because, all right, they're massive, but they built it from nothing. Although yeah. they, I mean, they had existing, they had existing fan bases, but when they started, the infrastructure wasn't there. Yeah. And like yeah. they built it. So, you know, they built it so we could come in and we've got easy hosting and we've got Zencaster to record on and yeah. mics are more affordable, but you know, but then again, I mean, you know, is Kevin is a different type of person in essence to a lot of other celebrities where, as a filmmaker, mm. he's very much that way anyway with, with how he puts films out. It's not a by the numbers. This is, you know, you know, using the what would mm. make the numbers for watching films. He's got that sort of like mentality of the indie filmmaker or the indie creator, but he's just got the, he's just got the, the backing of those studios to make those films in a sense, but he's still the 100% creative person behind that. And he uses that same aesthetic to what he does in podcasting world as he does with everything in his life. In essence. Yeah, so and Kevin, that's where it's different. So Kevin Smith, I don't think it's an understatement to say I've, he is one of the bigger inspirations for me in terms of like my creative stuff is hard to, I, I butt up against it a bit, but one of my biggest inspirations in terms of my creativity and making stuff and doing stuff because he very much instills in in me this idea of this counts and like that's why that's the story he always says is that he went and he saw Slacker and he was like this counts I can do that and that's what I took from his early days of podcasting was like I could probably do that mm-hmm. and then. His attitude of make a thing and put it into the make make a thing, make it as good as you can with what you've got, and then send it out into the world and stand by it. Yeah, like that's the biggest takeaway I've ever from anything Kevin Smith's ever said on thousands of hours of podcasts. Like that's one of the mantras I stand by. Like absolutely. So, what podcast do you like to listen to yourself, then, Rob? Well going to be a bit contradictory here because there are some big, b- bigger studio style podcasts in some of the stuff i listen to um i do listen to a lot of pod- podcasts so probably like a minimum of five hours a day yeah i've got stuff in my ears um usually from about seven in the morning till at least three o'clock in the afternoon i'll be listening to podcasts or music and it's kind of like an 80 20 split more pot you know in the favor of podcasts yeah um so I listen to some of the bigger shows, like, you know, The Ringer. They do all their shows. I listen to the NBA stuff because I'm into the basketball. Yep. Um, and, and, and their wrestling shows. I quite like a bit bit of wrestling, so I listen to those. Um, sometimes Wondery do some good shows. So I dip in and out yeah. of those if there's a show about um, the topic I'm into. I will I will dip into those. Um, and some, some of them stuff is good. John Ronson is very good when he dips into podcasting. So he's done... The last days of August and the butterfly effect—they were really two really interesting, like short run seasons. I think they were like 
six or eight episodes each. Um, John Ronson obviously is really, really good at what he does, and those are they are based around um, the porn industry. Yep. You know, a subject we all want to know more about, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, but yeah, they were really, really interesting. So I got into them, and then stuff like Scroobius Pip and Adam Buxton, depending on who the guest is. Um, the best podcast on the internet by a country mile is the Blind Boy podcast. Do you listen to Blind Boy? I have not. No, no, no. no the, I'm going to go and fetch my phone now. Yeah. Blind Boy is amazing. I've learned more about art and um, the colonial history of Ireland and, I don't know, chicken fillet rolls. And then I, you know, from his podcast and then anything I learned at school, he's he's just a really, really intelligent guy. And he basically does these like hour-long monologues on whatever takes his fancy that week. That's him. That's yeah. him, yep. And yep, yeah, and his his short stories are brilliant, and his poetry is hilarious. Um, most people would know him probably from the Rubber Bandits. They had a semi hit back in the in like twenty ten, twenty twelve with Horse Outside. Yep, yeah. I don't know if you know that song. Two Irish fellas. Um, so yeah, so Blind Boy is the best podcast on the internet. Um, but in terms of independent podcasts, I've got a bit of a list of mostly my friends. Um. Talking Dad is really good, and I'm on there a little bit. Um, Last Jedi on the left is uh, another friend of mine, Aaron, talking about the movies he likes. Um, 100 Things We Learned from Film and Cult Connections. Uh, A really, really cool little wrestling show I like to listen to is Damn It Vince. Um, And they they usually try and promote local indie shows that are going on around the place as well. so they're really worth a listen to. Um, obviously, previous guest of yours, that F King guy. Yes. Um, yeah. I think Dean stuff is just, I think he's brilliant. And I think he's just really original and creative. And it's just really, really cool. Agreed. And actually, yeah. I'll be honest, one of the best podcasts I've ever done was on his show. So um, on like the second episode of his new show, Death It's Not the, Not the End, yeah. he, he, gave me the space to tell the world about my um the love story of me and my beautiful wife and yeah it was yeah i thank him all the time for giving me that opportunity because we managed to weave a wonderful tale um and then also be there with belson is a really funny show i really enjoy that that gets me gets me to work on a tuesday morning um but yeah i kind of mix between some of the bigger studio stuff that i probably shouldn't probably should be on a radio really and then proper independent podcasts you know as podcasts maybe should be and i'll be honest most of those that i've listed off unfortunate to count is friends or these conspirators <laughs> yeah. absolutely thank you thank you very much so where can people find you robin get hold of you um Going forward, the best place to find me will be at recordsandbands.com. Okay. So I'm about to take a bit of a break from social media for an unspecified amount of time and see if that makes much of a difference. And then when I come back to social media, it might be a couple of weeks, it might be three weeks, um, it might be a month, we'll see. But I'm going to draw up some healthier boundaries 
than I have with social media at the moment. So, um, yeah, recordsandbands.com is the place to go. Okay. I've just uh, written that down to add to the show notes. Anyway, thank thanks, you very much. Thanks for speaking with me today, Rob. No, wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. I know we've banged on a bit and gone off on tangents and all sorts, um, and I'll certainly be sending an invite for Records and Bands for the Q&A of Doom. I'll be sending that your way. That's going to scare the living daylights out of me having to make a choice about all of those things. <laughs> Brilliant. No queen. No promises. No promises. So anyway, thanks for speaking with me today. Yeah. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. So um, it'll be early, Queen. So you can find pods like us. Yes. Yep. Queen 2, best album ever. There you go. Um, You can find pods like us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, surprisingly, and threads. And you can find us through podslikers at gmail.com. Um, there's a Patreon page if anyone wants to go there and pay a pound, pound a month um, if you want any extra of all this sort of thing. But anyway, thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us.